Welcome to the Divine Purpose Podcast, where we transport you along one of the more dynamic journeys of life. Have you ever been curious to know what it takes to become a successful leader? Or about knowing the secrets of life through the Bible? How about engaging in conversation where no topics are off limits? We will take you to new levels with guests who can help you grasp the importance of your calling. Now, here's your host, Eddie Dacius, founder of Dacius Facilities Management. Hey everybody, this is Eddie Dacius. We have a great show for you today. This episode is brought to you by Dacius Facilities Management. Dacius Facilities Management, they will manage your property with a variety of services, such as cleaning, maintenance, construction, project management. Please call them now at 617-237-0106 or go online at daciusfm.com, D-A-C-I-U-S-F-M.com. Today, this is our sixth episode. We have a great show for you. Um, our show is brought to you, like I said, by Dacius Facilities Management. We have a guest. Her name is Katie McDonald. Katie McDonald. She's the CEO of McDonald Wealth Management, LLC. Um, she's going to be with us today talking about finance. So we have Katie. Katie, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me on today. Thank you for coming. So like we always start with everybody. So you can talk about you. So who is Katie for, the, for our viewers? Yeah, so my name is Katie McDonald. I am a certified financial planner. I own McDonald Wealth Management, which is located in Mansfield, Massachusetts. We are a fee-only registered investment advisory firm. Most clients come to me first for comprehensive financial planning and goal tracking. I also, um, we do investment management last year during the pandemic. I also spun off a separate company, Financially Fit with Katie, which is geared around financial literacy, providing information that can help be able to feel like you can go on or, you know, reach the goals that you're trying to do. I feel like so many people, you know, were individuals were losing their jobs and it all happened it felt like overnight people may not have been putting so much emphasis of really knowing where they stand did not have adequate cash reserves did not know how they were gonna you know make it would they be able to get groceries for their family so i created this separate company we have a um, instagram and youtube channel where we're just putting out free financial advice to be able to empower individuals to feel like they can control their own finances wow thank you for sharing this so uh, how did you start it with i don't know if you really yeah. like math so why <laughs> finance yeah, so it's kind of funny. So in college, I actually have an exercise science degree, concentration in physical education. Um, and I ended up after college, after graduating with a bachelor's degree, I took some nursing classes. I wanted to work in cardiac rehab and work with individuals that had you know, varying heart conditions. I realized very quickly in nursing school that I did not like blood, needles, or death. So I had to reevaluate. So this was in 2000. 
Um, I don't know if some of you may not remember this or may not have even been born yet, um, but that was at 2000, we really were seeing the tech increase, the dot coms, you know, out in California and, you know, people all of a sudden being millionaires on Paperwell, living in Massachusetts, Boston had a lot of financial companies. So I was hired on at State Street Bank um, and through that, worked my way up and ended up working on the fixed income trading floor within securities lending and realized I really enjoyed finance more of working with individuals. And from that, I had a great manager who, you know, I had said, I'm not sure that this is what I want. You know, there's a position at a company out in Providence and it would allow me to start to really see how the world of finance worked, working in the the real the retail side and working with individuals. So he gave me his blessing. I went and he actually had said, if it didn't work out, I could come back and, from there is where I learned about the financial planning um, concentration or the, the program and the certified financial planner designation. I hadn't been aware of that until I believe it was probably around 2005. The more that I dug into that, the more I'm like, you know, that's what I feel like I want to do. So where, you know, originally I thought I'd be helping people more in, you know, the health field, it was more of I wanted to help people in another way, help them with their finances, help them get to where they want. And I feel like I probably always had that of wanting to be able to work with individuals. And so I took a big leap of faith in 2008 and signed up um, at Boston University. I took their financial planning course. I was working at an investment management firm in downtown Boston. So I was getting um, kind of that mentoring and and learning about things on the job. And then I would take classes at night and then also became registered. I had my series seven at that time, my 65 and just really progressed on it. And then was able to get a position um, in 2011 where I was an associate advisor. And so again, I, I was able to see how things worked. You know, I was setting up the financial plans for the advisors, sitting in on meetings, and then an opportunity. Um, I was contacted in 2014 by a firm and they had asked me, you know, would I like to come on as an independent advisor? So basically step in and start creating my own business. And at that point, it hadn't really been something I had thought about. I assumed I'd maybe be in that associate role throughout my career, but there was something in me that was like, just do it. You know, this is an opportunity. And if you don't make it, I had the designations to fall back on. Okay. So I just jumped in and, and in 2014 started building my own business. And here we are today. Yeah. I now have an office and yeah, it's just, it's been that's, a crazy wild ride with a lot of ups and downs, but that's amazing. I, that's I wouldn't amazing do it any different. <laughs> no, that's amazing to hear. And I like what you said. You started in nursing and now you, you, you in finance, but um, you mentioned that, okay, you studied in nursing, but what was the tipping point where you said, no, nursing is not for you? I don't know if you can touch on that. Yeah, so our listener can understand yeah. what the process looked like. 
Yeah, so I was working at that time. I was working at a, um, a medical office, a, cardi a cardiology practice, and I was doing, um, the, the, I would be kind of the intake. I'd meet with the patients when they came in. I would draw their vitals, check their medications. If they needed refills, I would, you know, get the scripts ready for the doctors to sign off. And I would do some of the testing and get those ready for the doctors to read it. And in that, I found that I really enjoyed meeting with the patients. And so I started to, you know, form relationships pretty quickly with some of the patients that would come in because if they were having issues at that time, this practice did everything. They they would set up if, you know, someone had to wear a Holter monitor or if they were doing any type of um, cardiac rehab. So we would often see the people in pretty frequently. And so towards, it was probably maybe three or four months in, one of the patients had passed away and I, I mean I didn't really know them that well but it I had a tough time with that um, but then also again taking the classes at night I, I realized like when the, the instructor would talk about certain things like I don't know I, it's like I didn't have the stomach to handle it so I just at that point made a decision of like okay is this really what you want to do? Wow. You're in your beginning part because obviously there's costs associated with it. And at that point, I was like, okay, you know, and I, I was great to have a great family because I remember talking to my mom about it. She's like, well, you're going to have to kind of decide what you want to do. Like you just graduated with this, with the hopes of, you know, that's the way that you were going to go. So I was able, you know, I, I moved back home and just started to meet with different headhunters. And then that's when um, State Street was having, at that point, I feel like they had open houses all the time where you could walk in with your resume, meet with someone. And I was accepted into a training program where I actually trained for a month. And then once you went through that, that's when then managers could say, okay, you know what, they're good at this let's bring them into my department. So I didn't even know at that point was finance what I, you know, is that what I was going to want to do? I, I didn't really know. So, yeah, I think I, I think you have to go with your gut instinct, too. There was something that I knew that that probably wasn't going to be, you know, long term what I was going to do, because unless getting the nursing degree, what I ultimately wanted to do, I wouldn't have been able to do it because I wouldn't have had that background. And at that point, I could have gone back and, and picked up a few. I probably needed a few more courses where I could have maybe become a physical education teacher. Yep. But again, I didn't feel like that was my passion of what I wanted to do. So it was all about just kind of going back to the drawing board and getting into it i can still remember when i first learned about you know a certified financial planner and what they did and there was something that just it just really stuck with me and at that point back then susie orman was big on on the scope and she was coming out with multiple books so i went and saw her do a lecture at boston university because at that point i was taking um state street allowed you to take courses through one of their programs so I would jump on it and so I think that's another thing I believe in education and I believe in learning and 
I would just start taking some of these classes and there was just a pull that, you know, this is kind of what I want to do. But at that point, it was never in my mind, like looking at where I am now, that wasn't the intentions. It's just kind of progressed that way. So. No, that's that's really exciting to hear. And uh, I think our viewers will will learn from what you said. But my my thing is in what I, I like to go in the process mm-hmm. where, okay, did you, so how did you feel when you started to be in the finance industry when you first started? How was your confidence? Are you, did you have a mentor who kind of guide you there to yeah. kind of feel confident and then embrace the role? Yep. So, I mean, the first finance job that I had, I mean, I, I won't lie, it, it, I was working in an international settlements area. Some of it was, and I, I'm going to say it was foreign to me. And I was working with, I, I want to say my countries that I was handling was the UK, Hungary. And then I believe I ended up moving on to like Ireland. So I dealt a lot with the foreign exchange um, and things like that. And I was trying to learn it and it was different. So it was completely different from what I'm doing now. And then I worked there for so long and then I moved into um, private client side and I was working on the pension side. So I was working with some of the larger pension institutes that were custodied with State Street and I started to learn more, but still it was more on um, the institutional side. So it wasn't until I transitioned over into the position in Providence and then probably during the schooling when I started at Boston University is when I really started to feel like, wow, this is what, you know, it's so intriguing. And being able to, you know, I I work with so many different clients. Everyone has different goals. They're at different area um, points in their life. You know, they all have different thoughts or mindsets around money and around things. So having that difference of being able to work with people is, I just found it very exciting. But again, starting out, I started out in finance in a completely different realm that again, I don't think I would want to, you know, do that long term, but it was a good stepping point. So um, let, let's go into failure. I know yeah. working in finance, there'll probably be some failure. So can you talk about couple failures you encounter in your career? Yeah, I mean, throughout, like I said, it hasn't been an easy slope doing this, you know, creating a a new business or deciding to go as an independent advisor, you know, trying to come up because now all of a sudden you're, you know, you're a financial advisor, certified financial planner, but you also now wear the the business hat and now you're also the CEO and, and you're doing certain things. So, there's been many, you know, things throughout where, you know, okay, how should I advertise my services? What should I do? You know, and some things work and some things don't. And I think what has gotten me along has been, you know, early on, you know, individuals telling me, if you're gonna do this, you need to have, you know, thick skin. Don't take things personally and be able to roll off the punches. So, you know, being able, if you're knocked down, being able to get back up and move forward. So 
where even over the last, you know, since 2014, when I went independent, you know, some things worked, some things didn't, you know, looking back, I wish that, you know, some changes I probably made sooner than later. But the one thing now having my own practice that I love is, you know, when, when individuals are referred in, I don't necessarily, you know, I like when, when clients come in off referrals because I have a sense I know who they are. And being able, like I, I spend time to get to know them and, and make sure that there's going to be a good foundation of a relationship there. And if there's not, then from the start saying, you know what? I don't know that we'll necessarily be a good match. I maybe you should reach out to X, Y, and Z. (laughs) And in the beginning, you take on everybody because you feel like you have to. And here's the thing. Everyone has different personalities and we're not meant to work with everybody. And so I think being able to adjust that now and being at a place of really wanting to get that relationship, because like I'll tell clients early on, we have to trust each other because I can only do so good as what I'm given from clients. And at the end of the day, my goal is I want to help clients reach the goals that they are. So I'm working for the clients. And so I wish that early on I had recognized that or, you know, but also when you're starting off, you're just starting off like, you you know, you need to bring people on. So no, no, um, definitely. And my, my other question is, so I know you started your business, but what did you learn from your previous experience and then you implemented in your business? Can you share yeah. a couple things? Mm-hmm. So I've been very lucky that I've worked at a number of different practices under different advisors who all had different approaches. So I've been able to, you know, shadow and and really learn from some of the best and take, you know, bits and pieces from some of their, you know, how they did things, but put a spin on my own and be able to create it in a way of, okay, this is how I want my practice to run. This is, you know, how I want to be able to service clients the way that I do. But I feel like had I not been working in those associate roles, or I started off as a relationship planner slash power planner, where I really, you know, was the person that handled, you know, all of the day-to-day of the advisors. I feel like if I hadn't had that experience, I may not be who I am today. And so I will stress that often, you know, in talking with, you know, advisors who are just starting out or maybe individuals that are thinking that they want to become a financial advisor and go for the certified financial planner, really stressing them to maybe start off in those roles, to really learn and be able to dive in and do some of that background work before actually stepping in to do it on your own because I feel like there's just so much that you can absorb and then you put your own spin on it because everybody works in a different manner. Yep, different manner. So any any quick advice you can share with any anybody who have like some uh, interest in studying their own financial management company or business? Read, you know, educate yourself. 
take courses, you know, the more that you can educate yourself on that and then look for opportunities, whether it be an internship or, you know, starting off again in, in one of these more associate type positions and really set yourself up and, and be willing to be flexible. I think often people, you know, and, and I see it different too in different generations okay, this is what I want to do. And they think stepping forward, like, all right, I'm going to all of a sudden become the top advisor or bring in X, Y, and Z dollars. And it doesn't work that way. And then they just quit. And so I think you, you know, you have to plan. You've got to take those baby steps. You have to be flexible and know that sometimes you're going to need to make adjustments. Don't beat yourself up, you know, and, and educate. I can't say, you know, more about just really being able to educate. I have taken, you know, time off from work, usually in December timeframe, where I'll block myself out of work. And so people might think, okay, she's on vacation, but it's usually not. I'll read some of the, the new books that are out there. I I go through some of the new techniques. Okay, what are certain things or patterns that I'm seeing within my clients? How can I come up with, you know, new ways to help clients? Because it's, you know, it's hard on that. And so, and another thing is, is setting up your own goals. Because if you're trying to become your own, you know, boss or create your own company, you don't have then someone who's on you. So you have to be very disciplined schedule things into your you know into the schedule that's going to keep you aligned so i think really setting up and and projecting out you know what you expect or this is what i'm hoping over the next month or over the next week you know to really kind of keep yourself in line because it's hard it's very easy to just say oh my gosh this isn't working getting down on yourself and all of a sudden before you know it everything just holds because I think people, you know, patience isn't easy. And in this career, if this is the path you're going, you need to have some patience and you need to wait it out. And then also align yourself, find some networking groups, find some other um, individuals that are either in the same space as you or, you know, are in other fields that are also building because it can be very lonely building this up and you're putting a lot of time and effort and so you may your outside world for a little bit might seem like it goes away and that can sometimes you know it it can be depressing so you want to make sure that you're aligning yourself with other individuals that are going through what you are because you can really work off one another and really build each other up and if that i just feel like too there are back it was about 2014, I created a women's networking group with another individual I had met. And some of those ladies are still some of my best friends. And, you know, they understand the challenges that you're going through, where sometimes your family or your close friends may not because they're working a nine to five job. No, well said. And I like what I'm hearing here. I really like it. So, um, my so any certification that's required to start a business as a financial advisor? Yeah. So, so kind of a twofold. So, I am a fee-only registered investment advisor. So, there, I do not sell anything that 
generate a commission. So I don't sell specific products. All of the financial planning is based on a fee chart. And then with investments, it's all based under an assets under management. So there's a percentage. So for that, you have to have a Series 65 license. Now, a lot of you know regulators, they having the certified financial planner designation is going to provide some more <sighs> I don't want to say make you um, more credible in the area, but it, you've okay. got that schooling behind you behind, yeah. now. And and that, so certified financial planner provides it as a fiduciary relationship. Now, on the other hand, you can become, you know, you could be a financial advisor. They have gotten stricter years ago. Anyone could kind of call themselves a financial advisor, which was deceiving to the public because how do they know what the individual has for licenses? So you basically, in order, if you're doing anything that is stock-based, that is charging commissions, you need to have the Series 7. Now, you can have what's called a Series 6, where you can do mutual funds and things like that, but you can't sell stocks. And then there are state licenses. So there's the Series 63 that's out there. You could also then have the Series 65 because the Series 65 is what says, I can provide advice for a fee. So you cannot be providing that kind of role unless you have that. So there are different licenses that need to be um that you need to have and they have changed them along the way so and then there's other designations as you you move on that kind of make things more specific depending on what your practice is so depending on you know what you want your practice to be because you could also along with that you know have your health and um health and life licenses. So you could do life insurance or disability insurance. So it really depends on what you're trying to do. I really like the fee-based model that I have now. I don't believe I would ever go back on the, the other side and doing the product. So now, you know, if clients, there's a need for life insurance, for yeah. disability insurance. I've made connections with different individuals who sell that and so I can go out to them okay give demographics get the numbers and be able to review it first to make sure that the numbers align up with what my clients actually need and then present it to the clients and then have them get in contact with the agent so it allows me to kind of be like the quarterback and pull in these other other areas depending on what they're looking for uh, we, we, we are here with Katie McDonald. She's the financial advisor. Um, we, we, we think um, that what you're saying is make, really makes sense. But um, we, we're going to um, switch gear. So we have a couple questions for you. Hot sure. questions. So first question, what can you tell us about money? Like as a financial advisor, yeah. top of your head. What can yeah. you tell us about money? <laughs> we all know money is something that you need to have in order to survive. Money can be very evil sometimes, though, because, you know, 
people can get very greedy in it. However, we all know that in order to survive, you need to have money. So it's very important to have an understanding of how things work, have an understanding, you know, what is good debt, what is bad debt, you know, how to manage your money, how to look, are you setting up your pay correctly and having enough deductions that are set up so that, you know, in a, if we're looking at it in taxes that, you know, you're doing things in a, in a smart way. So I think there's a lot of confusion around money and, you know, it's a shame that in, in schools and things like that, people don't, don't understand it. I can remember being younger and seeing my mom with a checkbook writing checks and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Like you can just write checks. Like, wow, where does that money come from? And so I think that there becomes a lot of confusion around it and people don't like talking about money. Yep. Money can cause anxiety. Yeah. And so that is often, we know, like, you know, if we're talking marriages, a lot of times when there are issues in marriages or divorce, it comes down to a lot with money. And a lot of times that is because people do not communicate around it. And it's just, it's, it's that, that thing, it just causes anxiety. And a lot of that um, can stem from two your household of how you were brought up you know did your family talk about it did you know that there were issues and or you know were they very you know savvy and savers and they they taught you that too you know so it 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 comes down to being able to communicate it and that's the top thing that i think is the strength people don't want to talk about it but do do you have in mind what age if it's, it would be appropriate to talk money in a household with yeah. kids or children? Yeah. I mean, you could start at a, you know, once the child is at an age where, okay, now they're starting to do maybe some chores, you know? So, I don't know, maybe around six, seven years old and you're like, hey, here's your money and, you know, have them set it aside. And if they want things, you know, have them know, okay, well, we're going to have you with the money that you have, you're going to have to, you know, we're going to take you to the store and you can kind of see how it works or showing them, taking them at some point to the grocery store and, and knowing that certain things cost money so that the child doesn't just believe that, oh, I want that. I can get it. Um, one thing that my brother um, and his girlfriend are doing with their son is he, he's a blessed child and we all just love <laughs> love him and I feel like and I know I can be bad on wanting to give him everything but he wants a trampoline okay and normally they would probably be like all right like we'll get it for him for one of the holidays but no because they were starting to recognize like he has a lot of stuff and he needs to learn to appreciate and they will you know when there's certain things that he wants you know with the money he gets for holidays taking him to the store so he can realize okay i have this amount what will it get me or and then having you know they have this chart i want my trampoline and everything like different chores builds up different things and once he reaches that certain number he knows that he can get it and so it builds in of teaching them that you know you've got to work 
for certain things. Everything isn't all handed out. And you know what? There is a value associated with the certain items that you want. So there are books out there that start, you know, when, when children are little of teaching them, you know, just what what is the value of money? Because that's where it comes down to understanding that there's a value associated with it and that it only will go so far. No, and and on that point, so what is the best way to save money then? Yeah, so my kind of number one top rule or I feel like is so important and this is something that I go through with all clients is setting up systematic savings. And what I mean by that is when you're getting paid, most people will have 100% of their pay. Nowadays, it's most due direct deposit. There are still some clients that, that will get the physical check, but majority of them are doing direct deposit. Right directly from your pay, have your payroll add another, so have a certain percentage automatically taken from your pay to go into a savings bucket. And not only that, maybe have it be one of these outside online, you know, savings accounts. Capital One 360 has some really good ones. They don't charge fees. They don't have minimums. It's out of sight, out of mind. And that can really allow individuals to build up, whether it's a just building up an emergency fund, or maybe you have the emergency fund, but now you're going to set up different, what I call buckets for different goals. So you might have your car fund, you might have your vacation fund, Maybe there is a larger item that you want to buy and you build up. And so this way, you're able to visualize and know how much is in each. And I think that's important too. I know for myself, I think it's why I have lists everywhere. I like to write things out because if I can see it, it's almost like it, it makes more sense to me or there's real meaning. So by having these different buckets, rather than just having one savings account, you're able to really designate to see where things are at and setting it up systematically is pulling that out of your budget. It's no longer in your cash flow. You're paying yourself first and now you've set aside money that you can use in the future. It's the same kind of philosophy of individuals that have employer retirement plans, whether that be a 401k, a 403b, maybe it's a 457, a simple. Those are coming out automatically. Okay. And that's why, you know, individuals, they can start to see those grow because they didn't have to physically put the money in. And so, and it doesn't, you know, you can start off smaller because that kind of the amount has, there's other variables that have to come into play, but you got to just start. And I have found that when you start doing that and you start actually seeing your balances increase, <laughs> it really yeah. plays with your mind of saying, yep. hey, I got it up to 500. Yep. Let me get it to a thousand. And you often will start to build it up quicker. Or if you need to pull money from the account because an emergency happens, you'll start to see that people that are doing it that way are like, I don't want to pull the money. And I'll say, but that's what it's there for. Like we yeah, put it there. And then it will make you want to rebuild that back up. So I can't stress enough. If you've had issues with saving money and you don't know where to start, you really want to set it up and start saving systematically. Have it just come out of your account, out of sight, out of mind. 
and just watch the you know watch the dollars grow and and as it builds up and depending on what those other buckets now maybe you're getting into second layer of savings so now maybe you add a Roth IRA and again you have it going into the Roth automatic the more that you can do automatic the better it's going to be for you and the more you're going to actually see those dollars accumulate because we're busy individuals if you're working a full-time job you have kids at home they're in sports you're trying to make dinner you're doing housework you know laundry you forget you forget and so setting it up systematically is just going to take it out and you're going to allow to see that money grow faster for you no that's that's good good information you're doing um you're giving us here but um you know one thing i i think i learned where people cannot save is debt so how can you avoid too much debt then Yeah, so that's a big one. And starting right off, you know, this is where I feel like the lack sometimes of the the education. I mean, starting right off probably from from high school, if kids start going to, you know, they go to college and they take on loans, they may not understand what they're taking on. And now they come out of college, they graduate and they have large student loan debts. And now, you know, they're, they're trying to you know, they want to have their own apartment and they need a car. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, the money just keeps going out the door. And now, you know, they're, they're opening up credit cards and now you're, you're building up credit card debt. So really there needs to be a focus of understanding your cash flow. And what I mean by that is understanding what's coming in and what's going out. Because often people just look at the number of, hey, I just got a job and I'm making $50,000 a year. Okay, well, what does that really look like in terms of after you pay taxes, maybe your retirement plan and now you put in your savings. So you really want to be taking a look at what what's actually coming in, what your net amount is. And you want to, you know, calculate that over a year, come up with what that monthly amount looks like. And now you need to start backing in what are your other expenses. And you need to make sure that you're staying in line within within that. So really learning to live with on live within your means. We live in a society where, you know, people will you know, they want flashy cars or yeah. big houses or they want to have every toy known to earth. And like, yeah. you know, that keeping up with the Joneses effect. And okay, there's too. nothing wrong with that if that fits in your budget. But a lot of times, sometimes it doesn't. And people take on too much consumer debt than they can handle. And that's where people get into problems. And so I recommend, you know, I love the 50-30-20 budget that allows you it's all based on your after-tax income that comes in and it breaks out so you can see okay this is how much i should have for my fixed expenses this is how much i have for my lifestyle expenses so discretionary spending however you say but that's you know spending it on whatever whatever you kind of want as long as you stay within that and then this is the amount that goes towards my debts and my savings and so really analyzing those numbers now sometimes those 50 30 20 the percentages may have to change a little bit but the end goal is to make sure that it equals that 100 percent because now you're living within your means and if people did this more and really charted those numbers before signing a lease for an apartment 
buying a, a home and not knowing if it fits in their price because again, it's not just the mortgage payment, you know, that you have to worry about. What are those utilities gonna look like? Yeah. Yeah. What are, you know, what are the other expenses? So graphing this out will allow you to really see what those numbers are and then make the judgment call of, okay, that is good because it leaves X, Y, and Z for us to be able to take the trips we want to take or, you know, the, the, the spa day, whatever it is, or those certain hobbies, you know, some gyms and things like that can get very expensive. So it's really spending some time. And I recommend when people are starting out, you need to set up some type of cash flow tracking. So whether you're using there's mint.com, there's a lot of free sites out there. You need to have something that's capturing what you're actually spending and you need to carve out at least once a month. But I'd almost say starting out, look at it twice a, twice a month, maybe at the first of the month and around the 15th really get a handle of what's coming in and what's going out. The more that you do this, you could go down to a monthly basis and it probably would only take you about 15 minutes. But actually look at the numbers. People do not do that. And then if you have gotten yourself into some debt, again, you still want to do this. And then you want to look at that pot of money that you have available to debt. And maybe you have to sacrifice and take some money from your discretionary in order to pay that debt back. So now you freed up that debt payments to go back into your cash flow or to savings. There's some good strategies out there. The, I like the snowball, you know, attacking one debt at a time. I like going after the smaller balances first, because again, as you pay that off, it it stimulates mentally, like you feel good, like, wow. Yeah, it's a big relief, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, going down that way. So it's all about balance. But I would say on part of it, it's actually sitting in and drafting it and coming up with that plan. And that's where I think people get nervous. Their anxiety sets in. They feel like, well, if I just don't look at it, maybe it will go away. But it doesn't. It just increases. So it's really starting off. And that's where I feel like if, if there were things within high schools where students actually understood what they're signing up for, if they're gonna be responsible for loans, because some of these student loan payments can be so high when they come up, it's almost like kids are set up at the beginning to almost fail. Yeah, okay. And there's other pressures in society of, hey, I wanna be going out all the time, or I wanna be doing this, and they need to understand what it means, how to manage their cash flow, how to budget. And if they're doing that, they're, you know, it, it's still, you can still be having a good time. And again, then it lines up with, you know, what are incomes that are coming in and things like that. And I, I would like to touch on what you just said about student when they go into college, mm-hmm. they are set, set up for failure. So. Yeah. What are like what what are the questions parents can be asking before they take that loan or yeah. before they engage in 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 that college? Uh, I I yeah I think there has to be um, you know discussions around you know what is the child going to school for you know um, what is the cost you know how much can can they afford for payments looking at some of these loans because 
there's subsidized and there's unsubsidized. And more and more, I'm seeing more loans that are being taken out on the unsubsidized area. And what the difference is, which a lot of people don't know, the subsidized loans are the ones where the interest is not going to accrue until after graduation. Until then, you're not being charged anything. Yeah. The unsubsidized, they start accruing interest from the start of that loan. And the interest rates can be very high. And so an individual might think that they've taken on $5,000 in loans and then they graduate. And now all of a sudden, you know, that's up to 7,000 or, you know, because, and depending, you know, every semester, different ones are taken out. So I think having the conversations around that and then, you know, what are they thinking for, for um, careers and things like that. I think more emphasis, and this is just a personal opinion, but it's more of seeing some of the the um, loan amounts that I see, and sometimes the the career paths are not necessarily aligned up with what they're doing. Is maybe having students go to a community college for a year or two, take some general courses at a lower cost maybe work a little bit to understand kind of what they want to do and then apply to that two years, you know, the four year college or finish up there. Um, I feel like that can make your dollars go a lot further. But I think it's just having an understanding around how much is gonna, you know, how much is it gonna cost? What is the school providing? You know, are there grants, are there scholarships, have kids applying for scholarships, but then having the discussion around, okay, the parents gonna take on this after, this is what the student and make sure the student has an understanding of what that's going to look like. So I just don't think they look at it or, or necessarily always talk. Yeah. I don't think they even know about this aspect of it, but and the student, parent, Oh, sorry. I was going to say student loans a lot of times. And I've seen it in my practice. Individuals will fall into, you know, their credit score will get impacted. It will impact their ability to get other loans or, or things in the future because when they first came out, they didn't handle the payments appropriately. And that's hard to then turn that around. So it's important to have an understanding of what that's going to look like, you know, prior to that so that they don't fall into anything. Um, well said, well said. But as you talk about um, credit score, so mm -hmm. what can you tell us about credit score? Yeah, so credit score is going to follow you throughout your life. And credit scores, they can be used for, you know, getting a job, getting an apartment. We all know anything that if we're trying to purchase, you know, a, a house or a vehicle, your credit score, depending on what that number is, can align up with how favorable of an interest rate that you're gonna have. Now, unfortunately, you have to have credit because in order to get any of these things, if you don't have any credit cards open, and I've had this happen with clients where they may have had issues in the past and then they paid them off and closed them all off. Now they go try to buy something like you're denied because you don't have any credit. So you have to have credit. And so I can go a big spiel on some of the way credit is set up that I feel like is not fair to individuals, Yeah. but it kind of is what it is. And so they are looking at, you know, how much um, available credit. So maybe you have 10,000 
open, maybe it's within different credit cards, how much are you actually utilizing? They're looking at making your payments on time. Um, they're taking a look at how long, like how much credit history do you have? Um, a small percentage looks at what they call service kind of credit. So that could be, you know, um, electric bills, gas bills, you have medical bills. And so it's so important to A, make sure payments are on time. So setting things up systematically on that too, just like I said, for saving, if you can set up your debt payments to automatically pay when they're due, any of those kind of reoccurring, you're not gonna worry about now that I haven't paid that because sometimes it could just be really, you forgot. Um, you wanna make sure that if you have different credit cards, how do you have them spread around? Because if you have a card, and maybe you have one card, $5,000 balance, and it's at 4,800, like that, they look bad at that because you don't have that much available credit. Um, so you really wanna make sure now at the end of the day, this again goes into the education. If you can have the credit cards and you wanna be paying them off, you know, on paying them off fully and on time. Now, the one thing that gets me is, so if you found yourself into some credit card debt and you've worked, you've done the snowball, you know, payment um, strategy and you've paid them down, initial, um, the initial thought would be to close that. Well, if you close that, you get rid of your history. And the history is a big part of what your score is. And also, depending on what that limit was on that card, well, you've just shortened now what your available credit is. So you're thinking you're doing good by paying it off. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm excited to look at my credit score. It's going to go up. And you're like, it's gone down. How could that happen? So you have to still keep them open. And I'll tell clients periodically use it to buy gas and pay it off. Because credit card companies can just automatically close them if they don't see activity. So it really all comes down to being a smart consumer, but you have to at least at some point, starting off within your career, you know, have a card. And I think, you know, for students, if you want to have your child have a card while they're at school, but also to start building up some credit in their name. Maybe you open up one of these kind of like prepaid ones through a bank. And so you've got money on there almost as collateral and they use it and then it, it pays it down just so that they can have something. Because again, if someone or a child, um, a student, they don't understand necessarily the full mechanic, you don't want them having a credit card early and now they start, you know, they're going out and they're buying drinks for everyone at the bar and they're buying this and that <laughs> and they're going on vacation and yeah. now they've got debt and they have nothing to pay because maybe they are just working work study. That's going to crush their credit score early on. And again, it follows you through and it will take time to do that. So that's where I think, you know, there needs to be more education around it, more and, and as we know, credit cards, those interest rates can be as high as 29%. So it's, it's just, it more comes down to knowledge. Knowledge is key and individuals don't understand how they work. And now you get caught up into, you know, an issue and now your credit score has taken a hit. 
one thing with the credit scores, you know, they can range from 300 to 850, usually to really qualify for some of those good interest rates, especially when we're looking at car loans or we're looking at mortgages, you've got to have that score over 700. If you're starting to see them or, or you have credit issues, this is another thing that's funny because someone has credit you know issues and and you know that hey they may pay they may not and they they need a car and they go get a car loan and they have like a 13 percent interest rate which makes the payments even worse so but that's that's how it is you know so you have to have an understanding of you know with the credit scores and things like that but also it goes into how you're handling your debt and how you're setting things up because it can be hard I recommend a lot of banks will provide you with your credit score on a monthly basis. Okay. Um, credit card companies do it now too. Um, you usually just have to enroll and say that you want it, but they provide it as a service benefit. And they'll often, they, they'll usually tell you where they're pulling because there are three different credit reporting agencies. So you can have different scores with each of them and it's because of the percentages that they're aligning to payment history you know payments on time utilization like they'll use different um, criteria of how they're coming to those numbers so you know looking at the differences and then also requesting your free credit report once a year and making sure that there's nothing on there that doesn't belong to you or maybe there was a debt like i've had where clients are like oh my gosh i moved and i didn't even realize there was still a verizon bill and now i'm in collections with it and now they're like we were just going to buy our new home and now you're stuck having to try to get that off of your credit report so if you're thinking of a big purchase too, you always want to check that first. If there's any issues and often if the the mortgage lender, if they know about that, they can even give you guidance of what you need to do on that. But make sure that you're looking at it, especially over the past year. We know that fraud was on a rise, especially unemployment fraud and things like that. You want to make sure that your information was not taken and, and you want to um, request that. I'll have clients that will pay for, say, like a credit comma. Yep. I would go through your bank or go through the credit card company because I've seen credit comma scores off, off okay. like up, upwards of like 100 points. And oh, wow. you don't want to think that you're going to buy a car and you think your score is 700 and then it pulls up and it's like 625. Wow. You want to know that beforehand and really work on, you know, maybe it is that you've had a small card and you have the money to pay it off. Maybe you take that money and you pay it off. And, and these are things too. There, there are different sites out there. If you do have issues with your credit and, and you need to build that back up, there, there are um, some non- profit foundations too that will work with people to just strictly help them rebuild and repair rebuild their credit credit yeah no i think um, like, yeah, early education in in finance in financing yeah, i think will help like like you said yeah. a lot of people they don't know all like the different 
aspect mm-hmm. different um and there's some confusion right there yeah. and i think what you said about credit score is very important where yes i think inquiries get you down too right if you have a lot they, of inquiries they they can but often if you know if you're shopping around for a car loan or you're shopping around for a mortgage they'll know like they'll anticipate that there would be more inquiries because there's certain things that are being pulled up okay so they may not have as much of an impact right okay no, the, but if it's that you're opening up multiple kind of credit cards and things like that, and now, you know, you're you're adding on to them and things like that, that will impact your score. No, well said. I, I really like what I'm hearing. And thank you. Um, in this day and age, how can people maintain liquidity? Right now, I mean, more people are probably keeping some cash on the sidelines just because of what we've seen over the past year and a half with COVID um, job loss and things like that. One thing, we're in a low interest rate environment. So, you know, having the cash on hand isn't necessarily going to earn a ton, but there are different, you know, online high yield money market accounts that can generate higher yields than what you're going to get maybe from your bank. Um, checking every month bank rate will provide what some of the top online money market accounts are and just spreading things out and then having an understanding of what are your monthly expenses how much should you have set aside and have liquid in case of emergencies that you're needing to pull and then maybe it's a matter of having some of that spread out so that it's not all just in one institution you would have them at different ones so again, doing a little bit of, of research online, but there's so much that's available out there now. Oh, wow. So when do you know a client is ready to invest in the stock market? Because yes, well, everything, Robinhood, yeah. Bitcoins, and it's like yes. everybody feel like they are a financial advisor on their own. Yeah, well, here's the thing. If you are working for a company and they offer you a 401k, you automatically, you need to start that. Even if there's other debt, like even if it's 3%, you've got to start somewhere. And so that can start to give you kind of that segue into, okay, dollar cost averaging in the market. You've got mutual funds that you're buying. Now, the whole thing with the Robin Hoods and the crypto, some of that, you have to look at some of that as almost gambling. and. I don't get involved too much with that with clients right now just because of compliance purposes. But my biggest thing to clients will be, okay, well, let's look. What do you have for funds? How are you invested? And all right, this is your your expenses. This is how much you have set up in emergency reserves. Do you maybe have a little bit that you can carve out that you could start investing in the market? But have an understanding of I may lose all this money and are you comfortable with it? Because some of the way of those stocks, you know, we saw with Robinhood, people were going in and buying things and not necessarily understanding how the market works. And, you know, they they wake up and now things are already down, you know, half and they've lost out on that. And now they start seeing the values coming down. You have to at a point if that's how you're doing it, if you're trying to become a day trader and you're trying to work the market in a way you're gambling 
And if you don't understand how it works, then you have to set yourself up and be comfortable with, if I lost that all, okay, well, that's okay, you know? And if you can't say that, then you don't really have a bit, like you shouldn't be doing that. But I look at that as different than having a client that, all right, we've got emergency reserves set up. We've got some other buckets. We want to set up a Roth because the earlier that individuals can set up a Roth IRA, the better. And that's a great vehicle that a college student, they make some income over summer. You know, I will often have clients, children, like we start, if they have unsubsidized loans, let's have them start making some interest payments and let's have them open up a, a Roth IRA, even if it's $25 a month. And maybe we put that in index funds or exchange traded funds and put that same amount in so that it's growing because then we're looking at the long term. We're looking at long-term growth. If you're talking about, and, and there are individuals that can start getting into the stock market because they're knowledgeable about it. They know what they're doing. And that it's just about being versed in it. But if you're getting into some of that crypto or jumping onto some of these, hey, I know someone that bought that stock and it tripled and I'm gonna put everything into it. Well, you better know a lot about that and understand how to read charts of, you know, when things are high, because the problem too is individuals, they want to put in when the, a stock is up 50%, yeah. when really you should be looking to try to buy things that have taken a hit. What are some of these sectors that really got crushed during COVID, but have a good chance of rallying back up? people don't necessarily want to put into things that low they're all chasing chasing the things big that thing. have yep. yeah that have risen without an understanding of knowing that one thing can come overnight or maybe you have someone all of a sudden go on on one of these social media platforms and and make a comment or a statement that may not even be relevant yeah and now they wake up and and it's it's just yeah. all you know it's dropped and now what happens <laughs> People get completely nervous and nervous. they sell. Yeah. When in a way, you gotta kind of be able to hold steady and wait for it to come back up if it's a good stock, if it's a good company that you know is gonna come back up because the prices are gonna move. And an important thing just in looking at a portfolio in whole is you wanna look at your portfolio and make sure, okay, how am I positioned? How would I feel if, if it dropped 10 or 20%? Okay. More so than what would I feel if it rose 20%. People all want it to gain, but they can't. So you'll have someone that says, I'm aggressive, or why is it my account making 20%? Um, because when the market was going down, you were very nervous and you wanted to be more conservative. You can't have it both ways. Both, yeah. And so that is always a challenge of trying to figure out where should someone be comfortable? Because at the end of the day, if the market drops 20%, you have to hold like you if you sell then it's going to be that much harder to make it back up you need to hold steady and know and then also be comfortable you know people when the market dropped last year all of a sudden i'm not putting money into the 401k oh my gosh my account's going down if you had continued your contributions into your retirement accounts yep when things came back you were making double triple that yeah, but it's anxiety and people don't understand and they all are chasing the profits and like, you know so profit too you know quick profit yeah. you have to build it right 
Exactly. Well, and then they don't understand there's the whole tax consequences around oh, that, man. which is a whole other kind of topic. But if you're getting involved in things like that, you really want to have an understanding of what your foundation is first. Okay. And what are you putting into it and be comfortable with if that's where you're going, that you may lose all of it. That's not the same if you're getting into, you know, long-term investing and you're maybe going into exchange traded funds or you're set up in stock models that, you know, are buying specific stocks and things like that or a mutual fund. I'll have, oh, I have X, Y, and Z. Is it going to all go down tomorrow? Mutual fund is made up of a basket of stocks. Okay. So every company would have to go to zero before you lost. Yeah. That's why there's that added diversification. So again, it comes around being knowledgeable and understanding. But I think, you know, the way of the Robin Hood, it did bring in a lot of people that were looking at that of more of a gambling and, yeah. hey, I can make a quick buck and then not understand how things work or right. how the markets move and things like that. Nah, exciting, exciting information and I like uh, I like it. Thank you. But um like I said, we are here with Katie McDonald from um Mac McDonald Wealth Management. So now Kitty, you, you wanna talk about your business. I know we have a slide here for your business. This is um uh, McDonald Wealth Management. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about your business, what exactly you do, or you can get more clients. So we are clients from from Katie. She she help us manage our our business and financial, um, personal financial. Um, she's she's great, but um, we have her here now, so you can hear from her. Um, let's go, Katie. Yes. So again, as I mentioned in the beginning, I am a certified financial planner and I do comprehensive financial planning and goal tracking. So there are systems that I have set up where I analyze your information. First things too, I, I really want to get a handle of what are the client's goals? Because again, those goals are going to allow me to see what are, you know, what needs to be done with the clients? Are they saving enough? Do debts need to be paid down? You know, should they be adding more into different things? Helping them, you know, I'll help clients come up with what is that price point for a house that they should get? You know, are they trying to buy a car? Are kids going to school? There are so many different things that we're looking at. And so it really puts everything into a spot where individuals can then have an understanding of where they stand and where, where they're trying to get to, and then start to maybe prioritize because they may not have all the resources to hit all of the goals that they're trying to do, but we're gonna come up with a plan to reach them and look and, and run different you know, projections for retirement um, and things like that. I put a big emphasis on cash flow, understanding cash flow, tracking, understanding what's coming in and out because at the end of the day, how do you really know what you need for retirement if you don't know how much you're spending? Because you only have enough money as to what you're spending. So, you know, I'll often sometimes hear people come up with you, you know, someone needs X, Y, and Z to retire. Okay, maybe some people need that, but not everyone because it all is coming down to what are you spending? And people do not have an understanding of how much is going out. And again, really knowing what is that income that's coming in. Um, and then off of that, 
I'll do investment management for clients where, you know, maybe it is investment accounts or um, setting up Roth IRAs, different um, employer retirement plans and things like that. Again, I am fee only, so I do not buy anything that is commissioned based. So I do not sell any products. Um, if individuals are looking for that, you know, I'll refer them out or, you know, provide them guidance and maybe some of that they're, they're going to do on their own side. I use a lot of exchange traded funds, exchange traded models um, that have lower um, expense ratios and things like that. And it's all about, again, coming up with what is going to be that suitable plan that's A, the individual is going to be comfortable with, because trust me, when the markets are going down 20% or, or 30%, I'm invested as I've got my clients invested. And, you know, I don't want someone to be worried when they go to bed that am I going to lose everything? So it's about really building the relationship. And that's why my firm, I center it around the financial planning first, because that's where I really get a sense of knowing where individuals are at. Often I will not take on a relationship that is someone that just wants to do investing um, unless it's under certain circumstances and I still get an understanding of where the individual is at because that ties in line with what their risk tolerance might be. And the more that I can know an individual or family's true you know financial position the more guidance that i'm able to give to get them ultimately to the goals that they're trying to reach because again it's you know it's based on what the individual's goals are and we'll go through different scenarios because often there's not one way to get there and then it's trying to find what is that perfect fit that's going to work for those clients yeah so and giving them options uh, good. Um, I think we we can learn everything on 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 this um, episode where we talk about finance, credit score, debt, and how to kind of take advantage of a financial planner. So, can you talk about your team? I think um, shout out to Aria Conway. <laughs> yep. So Aria is in the office. Aria um, handles um, any of kind of the client relationship side of the business along with the marketing so aria often sometimes may the, be the first person that an individual is talking to in order for scheduling um, and things like that so she'll help with some of that kind of client relationship side and then also on the marketing side so Yes. I so. wouldn't be able to do it without her. <laughs> she does she does a lot behind the scenes. So Yeah, definitely. So last word for Katie McDonald. Yeah, just you know, if if you've been nervous about your finances or, you know, have had anxiety or stress, especially over the last year, of wondering how are you gonna manage things, you know, how are you gonna get forward? Just start. If you're not comfortable reaching out to an advisor, start checking some of the, the free resources online. Start, you know, read some books. That will really help you, but get started because the more that you just put yourself into it, the easier it will get because I understand there is anxiety around money and sometimes it feels like it's easier just to not have to deal with it. 
but you have to if you want to get ahead and and sit for a bit on what your goals are and what you're trying to accomplish. And I'll say too, if there's individuals watching this that maybe have been interested in becoming an advisor, or maybe you are an advisor yourself and, and you're a CFP and you're starting out and you're not sure where you're you're looking to go, absolutely reach out to me. Um, you know, if there's any way that I can provide information or or mentor or you know possibly provide opportunities in my office, I am willing and wanting to do that you know i would love to be able to um, mentor an individual because i've been in that position myself and so you know i think getting in this field the more that you know you have that guidance around it will help you go a long way um so do you have any uh upcoming event you want to promote Yeah, so not yet, but as now things are starting to open up again, we will be starting to put on more. Um, I've done webinar events in the past and I've, you know, we've hosted first time homebuyer seminars and estate planning seminars. So there'll be more of that starting to go on as things are opening up. Yes, um, we are here with Katie McDonald from McDonald Wealth Management. Um, this this is our sixth, uh, sixth episode, so we enjoyed talking with her, and I think she had a good time. We had a good time, and thank yes. you for staying on. Like I said, we talk about a lot in terms of financial um, advising and how to start your business, and I think she can help, so you can reach, reach out to her on mcdonaldwealth.net. This is Katie McDonald from McDonald Wealth Management LLC. And Katie, thank you for coming. That was a great, um, great time. And I think you gave us a lot of information. And we enjoy, we enjoy you. And hopefully, we can have you soon. Yes, thank you. And I would say follow us on Instagram, um, Financially Fit with Katie. You'll get tips um, that we put out there a few times a week. Um, we're going to be having a Twitter, the Twitter page may be up to Ari has been working on that, but that will provide all kinds of different, um, we have our financial Friday tip, just little things to help you out. And then you can reach me directly through the website. So you can, if you're interested in a consultation, I do do complimentary. So there is not a cost. There are half an hour calls that we do. You can reach me through the website or you can email either aria at mcdonaldwealth.net to schedule or myself, Katie at mcdonaldwealth.net all right thank you um this is the uh, divine purpose podcast on our sixth episode we had um katie mcdonald with us um talking about financial financial and talking about tips and credit score debt and she did a good job so thank you for staying with us and we'll see you soon subscribe and share this episode thank you